This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, thank you, Shalom Torah Centers. Thank you for coming. It's a tremendous Kiddush Hashem for every person to walk into this building today. The only day that uh, us Americans have, have off is Sunday. And to utilize it for Torah and Yirat Shemaim is a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. One of the most underestimated gifts that Hashem gave us is the power of doing a mitzvah and the power of learning Torah. So many mitzvahs are done weekly. For example, keeping Shabbat, praying, Birkat Hamazon. We do it so often that a person forgets the value. When a person does something so often, even though it could be very expensive and valuable, you forget to appreciate it. So every mitzvah a person does, every moment of Torah, of Yirat Shemaim, coming into this building, even though you're supposed to be off, but coming to learn Torah, I have no question about it. It makes an effect in this world, and the next world, and Hashem is watching every one of our moves. And don't forget, Hashem never forgets. We forget the mitzvot that we do. Can you count how many times you said Kiddush your whole life? Can you count how many times you made a beracha before you drink water? A blessing before you drink water? Can you count how many times a person kept Shabbat or gave tzedakah? How many times we were about to speak negative about a friend, Lashon Har, but we held ourselves back? We forget everything, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't forget. A person is going to get to Shemaim after 120, and Hashem is going to tell him, remember on February 12th, 1987, you did this mitzvah in Jerusalem, or you did this mitzvah in New York? Hashem, I don't even know what you're talking about, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't forget. So this moment, learning Torah on Sunday is a tremendous chut, and Bezat Hashem, the merit from the Torah in this building today, in Shalom Torah Center, should be used to give health to all the soldiers in Eretz Yisrael, and should free all the hostages alive and healthy at Mevis in Shalom. So really I prepared something else, but as I drove here, I spoke to a famous rabbi in Eretz Yisrael, his name is Abchaim Zaid. Um, and for those who have YouTube, try to follow Rab Chaim Zaid. Put it in. He has the best stories, if you understand Hebrew. This doesn't speak English, but he has the best, best, best stories. And I'm always shocked. The stories that he said over that happens to him. It's as if he's like the new Baba Sali with all the stories that he has. Tremendously, he seemed tremendous miracles. So I'll share with you two stories today that he told me. Really... One of the stories I already said over a month and a half ago, right after the war, but today there's a continuation to that story. Around a month and a half ago, Rabbi Chaim Zaid, right after October 7th, right after Simchato, after that horrible day, he gets a phone call from a girl that's single, an older girl. She's a Yetumah, she's an orphan. And she tells the rabbi, Rabbi Chaim Zaid, she calls him up, she says, Rabbi, I want to help out in the war. I want to do something. I'm not, I'm not a soldier in the army, I'm not in the IDF. I'm here in seminar in Bnei Brak, but... I'm a Jew, and every Jew wants to take part of the word to help a said, He tells her, what can you do already? Pray, daven Hashem. So she says, no, I want to donate. I have in my uh, savings, in my piggy bank, as they call it, 6,000 shkalim. 6,000 shkalim, that's all I have. And I want to give it towards the war. What do you think I should use it for? So the rabbi told, listen, I heard, this is a month and a half ago, but the rabbi told her, I heard that many soldiers want to start putting on tzitzit. Person puts on tzitzit, every moment is a mitzvah, and it's a mitzvah, mina Torah, mina Torah. Can you imagine how cheap it is to wear tzitzit for $20? And how much value you're getting a mitzvah every single second? They said that Gaul Mavina, one of the greatest rabbis we ever had, before he passed away, and he learned all day, literally all day, most of his life. Since he was six years old, they say he knew already a lot of Torah. At the last moment before he passed away, he was holding on to pairs of tzitzit, of tzitzit, and he was crying in tears and tears. And they asked him, Rabbi, why are you crying? 
So he says, once I pass away, I'm not going to have the opportunity to grab so much mitzvot. Oh, I forgot the mic. As long as they're listening. Sorry, Torah, anytime. <laughs> he says, once I leave this world, I'm not going to have the opportunity and the chance to grab as much mitzvot, as much gold coins like I could in this world. Because once a person goes to Olam Abba, there's no more grabbing mitzvot. Only once a person is alive does he have the chance to learn Torah and do mitzvot. You know, the Gemara tells us, Kol Shabbat, whoever works on Erev Shabbat, whoever prepares for Shabbat, he cooks, he has a meal, Yuchal Shabbat, Ki'id in Shabbat. Because in Shabbat, a person can cook. But a person who's not busy cooking before Shabbat, comes Shabbat, he has nothing to eat because he can't make himself food on Shabbat. Says the Gemara, so to this world or the next world. Whoever works in this world to prepare himself for the next world, whoever works with Torah and mitzvot to grab more mitzvot and more Torah while he's alive, not wasting their time, they're gonna have a meal in the next world. They're actually gonna have a house in the next world. In this world, if a person wants to build a house, he goes to Home Depot, he goes to Lowe's, he buys himself some wood, he has a construction company. In the next world, Home Depot is not gonna help, neither is Lowe's, neither is construction company. Money is not gonna help. The only thing is gonna help is how much a person utilizes his time in this world to do chesed, to do mitzvot, to keep Shabbat, to learn Torah, to help other Jews, to give tzedakot, to daven Hashem. That is the construction to build a person's next world in Olam Abba. Nothing else is going to help. Only Torah and mitzvot that a person grabs in this world. How did I get there? Who knows how I got there? Rabbi Zaid, thank you. So it says Rechaim Zaid, this girl called him up and she says, I want to donate 6,000 shekel. The rabbi told her, I heard that the idea of soldiers are missing tzitziot. Let's buy them. Let's try to sponsor President Tzitziot. Okay. She gave him the 6,000 shekelim. He was able to purchase 127 pairs of tzitziot. That was his number he told me. 127 pairs. He has the box of tzitziot. He tells the girl, okay, I have the box at home. Now, come take it. He tells this girl that's an orphan. She tells him, Rabbi, what do you want me to do with the tzitziot? You want me to go... Give the men, give the soldiers tzitziot. It's not sanua. It's, first of all, it's not modest. And I'm not going to the south, to Gaza. He tells her, what do you want me to do? Because I'm the rabbi. That means I have to kill myself. I have to go all the way to the south and put myself in danger. This is right after October 7th. She tells him, atat sadiq. You're the tzaddik. It's your job. That's what she told him. This girl's a strong girl. Okay. The rabbi was too scared to go. So he has his rabbi, his rabbi in the area. And the rabbi told him, go to the south, mitzvah gedola, to help the soldiers. It's a big mitzvah of chesed. You're taking part of the war. He calls up his friend, this Rabbi Chaim Zaid, calls up his friend who works in the government, and he tells him, listen, I got to get to the south. Right now, this is when they still didn't catch all the terrorists. This is right after October 7th. It took them a couple of days to make sure there's no terrorists in the area. It took a while. So he called up uh, his friend, and he told him, I got to get to the south, but I can't just drive in my car to the south. It's extremely dangerous. His friend told him, don't worry. I'm going to hook you up. Give me a few minutes. A few minutes later, he calls him up, Chaim Zaid, tells him, Rabbi, I'm going to have a katsin shel tsa'al, which means one of the generals in the army, like a small, smaller position general, a katsin from the army, from the IDF, and he's going to come with a bulletproof army truck of the IDF to Benebrak and pick you up. Okay. Then we set up a date, the day, the IDF, the katsin, the general comes, his first name was Shaul of this katsin, but he doesn't want to advertise his last name. So the general of the IDF comes to Benebrak, to the rabbi's house, VIP, picks him up, they drive all the way to the south. As they drive to the south, 
closer and closer to the to the Gaza border, the whole the dome over there. They stop at an intersection that has a massive sign in Hebrew, En Knisa, you cannot go past this, and they had the cement barricades on the road, you can't drive. Why? Because that whole area is Makom Sakana, is a dangerous place. As they're about to leave the car, the rabbi, Rechaim Zaid, with the Katsin, with his journal from the IDF, suddenly they hear sirens, so the Katsin told them, go to Dennett, close the door! They stayed in the car, what happened? They were announcing that there's a loose terrorist in that area near the intersection. What happened was they caught five terrorists. Four of them are still held, held by the IDF. One was able to run away. Echad barach, echad and he's somewhere in the area, so nobody leave the car. He said he was in the car for an hour and a half. Can you imagine? An hour and a half he was in the car until they got to Ora'ah, the, the rule, the, until they announced that you're able to leave the the car. And he said that while he was inside the car, interesting concept, there were many, many loose dogs sniffing the area. He said he saw tons of dogs all over the place. And eventually, I guess that was a sign that there's no terrorists in the area because we know those dogs sniff blood. And if they couldn't find anyone, that means you can assume the terrorist is not there. So after an hour and a half, he left the car. He goes to the bagage, the in Hebrew, to the back of the car. He takes it to Tzitziot and he gives it to the soldiers by the corner. He has one pair of tzitzit left. There was a soldier a few feet away from him that raised up his hand and he said, Harav, Harav, meaning he was trying to tell the rabbi, I also want a pair of tzitzit. So the rabbi told me that he threw the tzitzit. He said it was such a horrible throw, it was way off, but he threw the tzitzit and the tzitzit landed on a massive rock. As the tzitzit that was loose lands on the sela, suddenly from the bottom of the sela pops up the terrorist, the idea of screaming, Mechabel, Mechabel, terrorist, terrorist. And he said, Esh, Esh, fire, fire. Boom, boom. And they killed the terrorist on the spot. Do you hear this? As soon as the tzitzit fell on the sela, that terrorist that was running where they were looking for was right there. I guess he felt the tzitzit in his ears or something. I guess it was tickling him. So he got up, boom. And they killed him on the spot. That means that one pair of tzitzit saved who knows how many IDF soldiers, who knows how many Jews that saved just one pair of tzitzit. Now this is a tremendous story that he publicized a month and a half ago. And then I had the zechut, because he speaks in Hebrew, I had the zechut to, to say over that story on Torah anytime in English. Now listen to what he tells me this morning, this is unbelievable. I speak to him, he tells me, uh, Yaakov Rechim, you got to hear what happened from your story that you said in English that happened to me. I get a call from somebody from Miami Beach, Florida. He calls me up and he tells me, Rabbi, I heard your story with the tzitzit. In English, I heard the story. And it gave me tremendous chizuk. But more than that, tell that girl that's an orphan, tell her I'm her new father. When she gets married, I'm paying for her wedding. And I'm going to get her a free apartment and buy Vagan in Yerushalayim. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I wish I got that. Buy Vagan in Yerushalayim for free. The rabbi tells her, oh, okay. He tells this guy, Bezat Hashem, as soon as she gets engaged. This girl, the rabbi told me, right now was engaged. To Yeshiva Bacha, that his parents, unfortunately, were murdered by terrorists many years ago. And they're about to get married. And this guy is sponsoring her wedding. And he's flying in there. And he's getting here in an apartment. But that's a tremendous story. This girl, 
She gave 6,000 shekels. She was Mosel Nefesh. She did her chelek in what she could do. Although it was hard for her, but she did her part with a full heart. That's all she had in her savings. And she's a Yitomah, she's an orphan. But she said, this, how I can help out in the war? This is the mitzvah that I can do. She did a belief, shalem, she's Mosel Nefesh. And those parents, Tzitziot, saved who knows how many IDF soldiers over there by the war because this Titi landed on the terrorists. And two, Baruch Hashem, she got engaged in this. She got married from this. As Israelis love to say, my parents always say, Elokim Gadol. Israelis always say that. You know, because the Shabbat the stories that are coming in, it's unbelievable how Hashem exists 24 7 in our lives. Hashem is really here. And we have the Zechut, we have the opportunity to serve Him daily. Not only once a week, you know, sometimes a person goes on vacation, which is a lot of fun. You go once a year, twice a year, three times a year. And even if you go, you can't stay in the hotel for so long, and you can't rent a nice car for so long. And how long can you eat steak in a restaurant, even if it's $300? Everything has a limit. But to serve Hashem, which is the funnest thing and the most valuable thing, we have a zikhut to do it every single moment while we're alive. The funnest thing is happening 24-7 to serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu. What an honor it is to be a Jew and to be able to serve Hashem. The greatest gift Hashem gave us is that He gave us a Jewish neshama. Is that He gave us a Jewish soul in order to serve Him 24-7. And then He gave us mitzvot. He gave us tremendous opportunities to get close to Him in this world. Torah, Shabbat, Tefillin, prayer, keeping kosher, and then we build our Olam Abba as much as enjoyable this world is. You know, the Gemara tells us, take all the most, remind me to go back to the second story, please, before I forget, if you don't mind. Take all the enjoyments in this world, all the enjoyments of this world, put it into one moment. Rega Echad, it is still not worth the enjoyment in the next world in Olam Abba. If a Kaddish Baruch who created all the fun stuff in the world is telling us, trust me, the next world is even fun, even more enjoyable, you can trust Hashem when He says it. You know, many years ago when I was younger, I had to fundraise for a certain type of cause. So I had a meeting with a very special person. He owns, he's a Syrian Jew from Brooklyn. He owns Century 21 department stores. I'm not sure if it exists in New Jersey, but I know they have it in the city in Manhattan. It was actually right next to the Twin Towers by 9-11, and then they rebuilt it. So the owner of Century 21 department stores is a religious Orthodox Jew who lives in Brooklyn, who has his own shul, who donates tremendous amount of money to tzedakah, and he finished the whole shas more than once, the whole town more than once, the owner of Century 21. So one time I had a meeting with him to fundraise for something, and I was around... 17 or 18 years old. I was around 17, 18 years old. I was a Lakewood boy. I grew up in Lakewood, right next door over here. By the way, I had a few friends who went to Shantara Centers. I forgot their names. I know it might sound rude, but I already forgot the names. But I remember Shalom Torah Centers. Back in the day, I had a few friends that came here. And then <clears throat> for high school, they went to Stearns. I think Stearns used to be in the area of the high school, but it closed down. So basically, being a Lakewood boy, and then you never leave Lakewood, all you see is white shirt, black pants. And then I had a meeting in Manhattan with this owner of Century 21. I took the bus. I took the New Jersey Transit bus. Back then, it was only, I think, $14. It was nothing, $14, $15. I took the bus. I went to Manhattan Grand Station over there. Then I ended up in Century 21. I walk in there, and there's two massive bodyguards by the front. And they, they saw that I was lost. I really was lost. There's no question. Especially right when I walked in, it was the makeup section. I was totally like, what is going on? I put my head down right away. So they started asking me, like, can we, can we help you? Like, who are you looking for? And I told them, I'm here to meet, his first name is Raymond, I'm here to meet the, the Century Twin, the CEO, 
they looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what? You're here to meet the CEO? I was like, I'm not lying to you. I have a meeting with them at 12 o'clock. It's like, give me your ID. I didn't have my license then. The only ID I had was the yeshiva ID, because legally you got to have the ID. So I showed them my ID. I said my name in it. And then they had like a walkie-talkie. They verified I wasn't lying. And then a different person comes down and he tells me, come with me. We go into this elevator. And then there's elevators, and then there's golden elevators. This elevator was a golden, it's called the golden elevator. It's the elevator that goes to the, to the, to the floor where the CEO is. In order to get inside the golden elevator, you got to have a special card. Not everybody has the card. So I had to wait by the elevator for this special person with the card to swipe, to take me in, to go to the floor. Finally, I get to the floor of the owner of Century 21. I come in. As I'm talking to him, very nice person. As I'm talking to him, one of the employees walks in that works for him, and he tells him, where do you think is, I want to get a gift for my wife, where do you think is the best company shoes for the best price, this and this design for my wife. So on the spot, being the owner of Century 21 for over 20 years, he started rattling off this department, that department, this should be this price, this is on sale. He kept on going and going. I thought to myself, imagine me, Little 17-year-old from Lakewood who knows nothing about business, nothing about Century 21. Imagine I tell him, Alo, 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 alo. Hold on, hold on, hold up. Raymond, I think you're making a mistake. I think you should get this shoe with this company. With this. How unintelligent or foolish would it be for me to argue with the owner of Century 21 that's there for 20 years? In this world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, God, was here, Haya. Baruch Hu was here from the beginning, Abutai. Hashem is here as we speak and is going to be here forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He knows what's right and what's wrong in this world because He created this world. And He told us clearly, a person who gets close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a person that utilizes Torah and mitzvot, another mitzvah, another mitzvah, a person who does the right thing is the happiest person in the world and He's doing the right thing. So how could it be that a person will make a decision and get up and tell God, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I think there's a different fun in this world. I think there's a different right in this world. If Hashem who created the world knows what He's doing, and He created all the most enjoyable stuff, and He's telling you the most enjoyable thing is learning Torah, getting close to Hashem, and reaching Alam Abba, who would argue with His own Creator? Who would argue? Now, how did I get to this? I planned a whole different speech. How did I get to this? Oh, thank you so much. Okay, here comes all the story. This is unbelievable. Chaim Zee told to me today, he said that in Sidrot, one of the cities in the south, some people passed away, many actually, but they were planning, the Yemach Shem were planning to do a lot more, and they did not succeed, Baruch Hashem, and unfortunately, they did kill many lives. And one of the shuls, after the war, totally survived the attack. They saw in their security cameras, the Hamas terrorists, Yemach coming closer and closer to the shul, and they were in a circle, like having a conversation, one terrorist goes closer and closer to the shul and he puts his ear by the wall of the shul trying to hear something. He goes back to the group and a different guy comes and tries to listen in. Eventually they left. What ended up happening? At that moment, they looked at the security camera. At that moment where the terrorist put their ears by the door of the shul, 
that specific minute, there were a minute of Amidah in Shemona Bashachit. There were a minute of Shemona And because that shul is so careful that no one speaks in shul, nobody speaks in tefillah, it was pitch quiet in there, not even a pin drop on the floor. It looks like the terrorists were trying to see, is there people? I mean, we're not wasting our time. Is there people there? Is there no people there? They thought nobody's in there. It was so quiet, they just left the place. It's an unbelievable story. And then he told me another story, and then we're going to end up with that story. Chaimzi told me, this is a scary one. Okay, ready for this one, guys. And Ari and Ari Shiva used to tell us, put on your seatbelt for unbelievable, unbelievable stories. It happens to be, while I heard the story, my seatbelt was actually on. I told him that. This time I actually had my seatbelt on, because I was driving here. He said that this Katsin that he drove, this idea of soldier, that drove him to the south, told him a tremendous story. That happened to him. After October 7th, part of the jobs that this general has is to interrogate the captured Hamas terrorists and he tells him I want you to tell me a pshat to what I'm about to tell you what the terrorist told me one of the Hamas terrorists that they were interrogating his job was he was in charge of a group of 10 Hamas soldiers they went out with groups and there was a, a, a group leader in charge of 10 Hamas terrorists, and that's their unfortunately did that tax. So this specific terrorist was in charge of 10 other terrorists. His job was to attack Yeshivas Tifrach. For those who know Israel, one of the biggest yeshivot that we have, close to a thousand people, is Yeshivat Tifrach that's in the south, right near Gaza. His job was to go inside by Simchat Torah that day, October 7th, to go inside and to attack specifically the yeshiva. But he didn't. And they see in this Baruch Hashem, and they see in the security cameras, that he was by the gate to go inside, I guess you call it Yeshuv, or Kibbutz, Tifrach, where the Yeshiva is. And you see that he's by the gate, and he's looking around for a few minutes, and then he turns to his other terrorists, and he tells them in Arabic, he told me the words in Arabic, but I told you, I know Hebrew, English, I don't know Arabic. Okay? But he told them in Arabic, Ufumikana, get out of here, get out of here, there's no point. And then they left, and unfortunately... They unfortunately, did all the terrorists like Yimachshim Avizicham, but he felt he didn't want to waste his time. So the Katsin asked the terrorist Yimachshim, he asked him, Why didn't you go in? What made you stop? Why did you tell your terrorist friends, Yimachshim, not to go in there? And they found, by the way, they found inside his bag this terrorist, something so scary. They, find, they found that he had. The schedule, the zmanim of yeshivas tifrach and simchat Torah. The terrorists in his bag knew what time shachrit is that day, what time they're having akafot, what time musaf, the su'udah with the yeshiva, and mincha. This terrorist got a hold of the zmanim of simchat Torah. See, he knew when the yeshiva bachem are going to be packed inside the Bet Midrash. And he had a picture of the front entrance of the building and the other back entrance of the building. And the plan was to designate five soldiers to each entrance. And his job was as the general to make sure after they're done shooting everyone, your job is to do chazara and make sure everyone is dead. That's what he said in his piece of paper, what his job is. So the katsin asked him, why didn't he go and what stopped you? And he told him something very scary. He told them that while he was by the gate, he saw, he saw Yeshiva's Tifrach, but he saw a lot of ish. He saw tons of pillars of fire coming out of the building. So he told himself, why should I waste my time? We don't have that much time till the IDF comes, till the enemy, as he called it, come. I have to go do other things. Why should I waste my time? It looks like somebody else already took care of them. He said that he saw ish and ish and ish coming out of the building. This is what the Ari Machshemot told the Katsin. So the Katsin asked the Rabbi Chaim Zaid, what in the world does that mean? This, a terrorist told me this. What in the world does that even mean that he saw Esh and Esh coming out of the building? 
And Rechaim Zaid, when he told me this, he was like screaming over the phone. He was saying, this is unbelievable. We always learn about open miracles in the Gemara, in times of Chazal, of Chanukah, and we learn about it, we learn about it. We had from this war, there are so many stories that are coming in, there are so many open miracles that happen. At the same time, there were tremendous tragedies. And it's going to take us years and years, we're going to cry and cry and cry and cry and cry for many, 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 many years ahead of the tragedy that happened. We're, we're, we're still, we're not, it's not even over yet, but once the war is going to be over, how long we're going to cry is going to be, unfortunately, it's going to, it's going to be endless. I remember when I was a little kid, my grandparents told me about Malchemet Yom Kippurim, the Yom Kippur War. He always spoke about it, my grandfather, how he lost his friend, another friend, because he was part of the battle. And he told me all the details. They never stopped speaking about Malchemet Sheshet Amim, the Six-Day War, Malchemet Yom Kippurim. This war that happened October 7th, it's going to be, unfortunately, we're going to tell it to our grandchildren, our children, our grandchildren. It's going to take a long time, a long time for us to stop crying about this war. Many tragedies happen. But at the same time, the amount of open miracles that we we see how Hashem handles everything. Now we know why in Alan Isim we say, We thank Hashem for the wars. Why do we praise Hashem for wars? Why do we praise Hashem that He's in charge of the Milchamot, that He's in charge of wars? The answer is because through war, many times we see the hand of Hashem even more open. Many times you see how Hashem dictates and everything Hashem is handling, every single step that a person is taking. How many soldiers are saying over tremendous story? I have a cousin that's in Gaza as we speak, and he tells me stories all the time. And he's not a religious Jew, but he tells me tremendous, tremendous stories of Emunah and Bitachon, how many Jews got together from the tragedy on October 7th to get closer and closer to the Kadosh Baruch Hu. The spiritual movement is unbelievable. You know, we have an organization, remember to go back to the story, we have an organization called BackToSinai.com. This organization, we started around two years ago after noticing that as much as, you know, you could give speeches and go around and speak, at the end of the day, if you want to touch as many Jews as possible to start learning Torah, you have to get online. You have to get on social media. Social media is a horrible place. But at the same time, it's an unbelievable gift that Hashem gave us in this generation to reach Jews across the world. So we started this organization called BackToSinai.com. Everything is sponsored, Baruch Hashem. People are sponsoring everything. And we have a social media company where on Instagram, on, on all the stuff, uh, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, all these places where we post videos and videos of different rabbis. And then whoever is part of the accounts, we ask them, do you want to learn Torah on the phone with a mentor? Whoever says yes, we take their phone number, their, their name, their email address, and then we send it to Torah mates, to partners of Torah. So since we started two years ago on social media, we have over a thousand people, Baruch Hashem, just from Instagram alone, that applied yes from across the country and Europe, and now Baruch Hashem, the learning with Torah mates, to partners of Torah. Since the war started from October 7th, I got over 500 requests. What took me two years to get in from social media after the war, Everybody is looking for truth. Everybody is looking for meaning, for pshat, for a time, for a reason, and what's going on. The Jews are so hungry for ruchniyot. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu, before we started the Geulah of Yitziat Mitzrayim, what was the siman? What was the symbol of the redemption when, right before Mitzrayim? Moshe Rabbeinu was walking in the Midbar, and as he was walking, he saw the burning bush. Everybody remembers the period of the Torah where, where the stem was Be'el Be'esh, but it wasn't actually burning the wood. Was the Ukar, was it actually burning to, to, to pieces, to ashes? So Moshe Rabbeinu was passing by, and he sees a burning bush, but the bush is not burning. It's not burnt to crisp. It's still alive. It's still green. 
So after Moshe Rabbeinu turns his neck, he gets closer, and that's when Hashem came to him and spoke to him, and he told him, you're basically Mashiach, you're going to redeem the Jewish people. Says the Sfarim HaKadoshim, the holy books, they ask, why is that the beginning of the redemption of the Jewish people from Egypt? What does it symbol, what does it show us? What is the message that Hashem tried giving the Jewish people by doing it and writing in the Torah? That right before Moshe Rabbeinu redeemed the Jews from Mitzrayim, and we went through so much pain in Mitzrayim, right before he redeemed us, this episode happened with the burning bush. So the holy books answer a tremendous lesson, and it's happening in our generation at this moment. The lesson is that no matter how many times Jews go through tragedies, no matter how many times we go through pain, tsarot and yisuim, no matter how many times there's fire around us 24-7, every single generation of people are trying to destroy us. Ish and ish, tragedies and fire and fire. Inside of us, inside of every single Jew, you can never break. You can never break. So no matter how many fires around us, flames of tragedies, the Jew inside will never break. So Hashem wanted to show it to Moshe Rabbeinu. Right before he went to redeem the Jews at Mitzrayim, the Jews at the time were holding the very low level of impurity. They weren't doing so well in spirituality. They were holding in the 49th lowest level of Tumah, of impurity. So Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't sure, how can I redeem the Jewish people? They're almost low. So Hashem gave him that sign, the Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to understand how Jews work. No matter how much fire is around the bush, the bush is not burning. No matter how much Jews can go low with sins or their surroundings, at the end of the day, inside of them, they're 100% Yehudim, and they're my children, you can never break a Jew, go redeem the Jewish people. This is happening as we speak. What this war, what Hamas Yimach Shemam Vizicham, showed the world, is that you can never ever break a Jew. So many requests, I have a friend in Indiana, Chabad rabbi, that I'm in touch with him on WhatsApp. He tells me the amount of people that requested to put on tefillin, they knock on his door on his campus in Chabad, and he said, you know how many Jews come to put on tefillin? He said he gave out so many hadlikat nerot candles for the girls, they want to start lighting nerot Shabbat. He said the movement, the spiritual movement that's going on in the world after the war is tremendous. It brought all the Jews together. So Hamas wanted to break us, the opposite happened, the achdut of the Jewish people coming together to do more Torah and more mitzvot is an unbelievable Kiddush Hashem the amount of Shabbatot that I kept I have a friend that's a rabbi in the city in Manhattan and he told me this he told me more than a month ago he told me the amount of people that are coming to pray Friday night in the synagogue feels, feels like Rosh Hashanah Yom HaKippurim because usually Rosh Hashanah all the Jews come in Yom HaKippurim so he says after the war happened everybody's coming to shul everybody's proud to be Jewish everybody wants to serve Hashem the achdut the togetherness that happened between all the Jewish people from all the circles proves the symbol that Hashem showed Moshe Rabbeinu. No matter how much fire is trying to consume us, we will never break. The Jewish people are always loyal to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And we always know how to move forward and rebuild and get closer and closer to Hashem no matter what happened in the past. So those two stories of Atai that I share with you should give tremendous chizuk. It gave me tremendous chizuk to see an open miracle of a flame coming out of the building. So Chaim Zaid told him, you know what that flame is? Esh HaTorah. We know when a person learns Torah, he brings tremendous kedusha in the world. You know, when a person does one mitzvah, if we will have the, if we will have the right glasses to see the spiritual power that comes to the world with one mitzvah, we will never ever stop doing mitzvot.
The problem is, and that's a challenge of life for me also, the challenge is to really understand the real value in this world, and that is Torah and mitzvot. But the reality doesn't change. When we do a mitzvah, we bring bracha, we bring blessings to this world. We made the world a much better place. So says Chaim Zaid, the fire that this Arab Yimachshim was saw at that time, they were praying shachrit, at that time the yeshiva bacham were dancing with Simchat Torah, he saw flames of esh, of esh Torah, you think the Torah is a joke? This is real! Shabbat is real, mitzvot is real, and that ash kept away the Arab, not to chasr shalom destroy yeshiva tifrach. Just like we say in Al Nisim, by Adlikat Nerot, by Amimahem, Bazmanazeh. Just like there were miracles back then by Chanukah, there are miracles in front of our face as we speak. The question is, does a person choose to look into it and grow from it, or does a person try to say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, so this, this, and that? It shouldn't be so far fetched for a person to believe such a story. If you know how much of an effect you make when you keep Shabbat, if you know how much power you brought to the world with one mitzvah, this story is not a chidush. Of course, there's Esha Torah. Of course, is flames coming out of the building. I'm going to end up with one story, then we're done. Okay, I'll tell you one more story. I know I said the last time, but literally last story. This story was said over by a rabbi on Lakewood, but this happened a couple years ago. What happened was he has a friend that collects money. He comes from Eretz Yisrael as a Rosh Yeshiva, and he has a permanent driver, an Israeli Jew, that's not religious yet, and he drives the rabbi around when he comes to America to fundraise for his Yeshiva. What happened was before COVID, he used to come often. COVID, this rabbi had to take a break. He couldn't come into America, obviously. After COVID, he comes in and he sees his friend, the Israeli driver, is wearing tzitzit, he has a kippah on. The rabbi told him, Eh, makaralecha. What happened? Are you crazy? You became religious. What happened to you? He's like, Look, I'll tell you what happened to me. They get inside the car and he tells him a tremendous story. This is unbelievable. He says, Rabbi, right after COVID, and one of the jobs and I had to drive people around, the car service, I got a call from somebody in North New York, where uh, the mountains over there. A very, very wealthy person called me up, and he tells me, I have a specific job for you to drive me. I want you to take me inside Pennsylvania to a specific spot, but there's no houses in the area. It's driving inside a secret path in a forest in Pennsylvania, and... He didn't tell me exactly the city in Pennsylvania. That he didn't publicize. But he told me specifically a forest in Pennsylvania where there's a secret path. Okay. He says, I didn't ask any questions. I went to pick up this guy from New York. He gets in the car. And he drives in the GPS. He said it was not on the Google Maps. He had to find out how to get there. They get to that forest of Pennsylvania. And he told him, I'm not going in inside the forest. He told his customer, I'm going to drop you off over here. When you're done, I'll drive you back to New York. Okay. And... The rabbi asked this driver, his friend, the Israeli Jew, he asked him, you didn't question your customer. What in the world am I driving you to a forest of Pennsylvania? Remember this guy is selling drugs. You, you get in trouble. Why didn't you ask him? So he told him, listen, I'm not messing with customers. I'm not, I'm not getting involved in his business. Okay, some people you know, like to live like that. So basically, he dropped him off. And he said he got on his, on his iPad, on his iPhone, and he started watching Netflix. He started watching movies, sitting by the front seat. Suddenly, somebody knocks by the window, and he said he got scared. He rolls down the window, it's his customer. What happened? He tells him, move, drive far away. I need you to drive at least 10 minutes. The, 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 the word was 10. At least 10 minutes out of here. Drive away, drive away. He said, okay, okay. You figure maybe something happened, maybe he got in trouble. He got very scared, and he drove 10 minutes out eventually his customer calls him up and he says, come back, pick me up, I'm done my deal, whatever I need to do, okay. He picks him up and he said, finally I had the guts to ask him, to approach him. What in the world are you doing? 
I drove you, I picked you up from New York, took you to the forest in, in Pennsylvania, dropped you off by the front. You come knocking and tell me to drive 10 minutes out. What are you dealing with? I don't want to get in trouble. What are you dealing with? So he told them, let me tell you something unbelievable that happened to me. This is what the guy told the Israeli Jew. He says, unfortunately, the guy was pointing to himself. Unfortunately, I have the machala. Unfortunately, I have cancer. Should never happen to any person except Hamas terrorist. Unfortunately, I have cancer. And the doctors gave up on me totally. And the only way that I see myself redeeming myself from the cancer is to go to somebody who knows black magic. The concept of black magic exists even in the U.S. where a person uses koach He takes the Shem Hashem. Okay, it's a dangerous thing, but he takes the name of God of Hashem. And, and there's actually a guy like that in Brooklyn. He got in trouble then. He passed away, but whatever. Something called koach where you take the Shem of, of a Kadosh Baruch Hu, and then you use it for bad things. It's full of Tumah. He takes, he takes Malachim. As we speak, there's Malachim here. There's angels. And if you would know how to talk to them, they can actually accomplish things for you if you're holy enough. Or if a person is bad enough, he will use the other way. He uses Tumah, impurity, which means you got to grow long nails and do all these weird things. Then you bring Tumah on yourself, and then you can talk to the bad to help you out. It's a dangerous game, but there's a real world out there. You know, Moshe Sternbach says a baby in his mother's stomach. The baby thinks the whole world is his mother's stomach, but only two inches away from him, there's a whole world. In this world, the person thinks this world is, oh, there's a wall, there's a chair, there's a stender, as if there's nothing else. No, there's a whole world right here if a person taps into the spirituality. So basically, this guy told the soldier, so I went to the black magic guy, and as he was trying to help me out, he asked me, are you Jewish? I told him, no. The black magic asked the guy, are you friends with any Jew? He says, no. So can I ask you how you got here? He's like, I took a cab. He's like, is your driver Jewish? He says, yes, he's actually a Jewish person. And the black magic had told the guy, tell that Jew that he has to go at least a mile out. Tell him to get out of here. And he said that the guy was screaming. It was scary, the black magic. Who knows what these guys look like? It was a scary guy. And he tells him the Jew, his actual neshama, his soul, is stopping me from using my tumah, my koach of impurity, to accomplish what I want to accomplish with you. His neshama is like a pillar of light that's stopping me. Tell that Jew to move at least a mile out. He runs out and he knocked on the Israeli and told him, please move him out. The Israeli guy, when he heard this, after he drove back to New York, he thought to himself, Ribbono Olam, am I that valuable in your eyes like Adosh Baruch Hu? Am I that powerful that my neshama sitting in the car watching Netflix makes a difference in this guy's black magic garbage? Are you serious? Hashem, my neshama is that strong? And I don't even keep Shabbat. I don't even put on tefillin. Can you imagine how much Kiddushah I will have if I did the mitzvot? I'm so holy as it is and so valuable. Can you imagine I would add mitzvot? How much Kiddushah I will have? And then he was Chozabet Teshuvah. He became religious and he told us over to the rabbi. But this is a tremendous story. The lesson I took from the story is I have to start understanding how much value I bring to the world. Besides my neshama, the Jewish neshama. That's priceless. And we thank Hashem every day for it. But what about the mitzvot? How many times did I keep Shabbat in my life? I wasn't religious my whole life, but since I became religious from sixth grade, how many times did I keep Shabbat in my life? Do I really value every Shabbat? Do I walk out and say Shabbat after Avdalah? Nice! I just made a million mitzvot this Shabbat. Do I walk out feeling like a millionaire? Or let's say I learned for an hour straight. Do I really appreciate what just happened? Or every time my lady lights that, the Kad Neod Shabbat. 
the, the candles for Shabbat. Can you imagine the Kiddushah, the holiness at that moment when the, and when the women pray for their children and for their grandchildren and for their husbands? Can you imagine how much Kiddushah holiness is at that moment? Or every time we cook for Shabbat, we drive the Chavot Shabbat, we go to do mitzvot. Or every time we learn with others, every time we're about to say Lashon and then we control ourselves, brings tremendous Berachat to the world. The lesson from the story is, value who you are. And value the mitzvot that you already did your whole life. Today when you get home, take a notebook. I dare you to do it. Take a notebook and start trying to write down how many mitzvot you did. The past two months, I'm not asking your whole life. The past two months, you're going to see how wealthy you are for mitzvot. How much value you brought to the world. And why Hashem gives you life. Hashem gave you a Jewish neshama to utilize. Utilize the fun. Get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And although we went through a horrible tragedy October 7th, at the same time, the Kiddush Hashem is priceless. How Jews are getting together and doing more Torah and more mitzvot. Thank you so much for listening. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.